Welcome back to What's Your Bliss, part of the Anything But Credible Network. My name is Thomas Ragland, and I'm delighted to be coming back to you another week. This week's guest is a lead singer and musician behind Crying Vessel, record producer and co-owner of the multi-platinum awarded studio Influx Studios, and is also a published uh, horror writer. This is Slade Templeton. Slade, welcome, and What's Your Bliss? Hey, so yeah, thanks a lot for having me on the show. Um, yeah, I mean, if that's if that's the big question, I guess we'll be talking a good time over that. It's a, a very massive question. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, I mean, since since you asked me to come onto the show, it it's just been spinning around in my head because bliss bliss is just such a huge huge um, life thing, and it's something that's so deep that can mean so many things, so small and so big at the same time. And what was interesting for me personally is I've always done a lot of interviews about music, about books, about entertainment, about everything. Um, but no one's ever asked me really what makes me happy. Yeah. And it really struck on me. And I have to say, I was, I, I really had to think. I had to think a long time about this. And, and mainly because there's just so many different chapters to my life, no pun intended, of course, with the book and everything, but you sure. know, chapters to my life. And there was different bliss over each of these chapters that made me feel a different way of joy. Um, you know, that joy that you get as a child, you know, that blissful naivety, that, that instinct that you have a kid that everything is just blissful at that point. Um, slowly life takes a hold. And, you know, you get into high school and all of a sudden I found my bliss into the arts um, more than anything uh, at a young age, 15, 16 years old, I would say, um, you know, into my guitar, into my sculpture, things like this. Um, it slowly evolved over the years. Um, touring for a short time felt that way. Um, music was always kind of the, the backbone with all of that. And then, you know, I just had a baby four weeks ago. So... The bliss that's now, <laughs> I would say, is really, I think, the first time that I truly know what bliss means when I look into my child's eyes. Um, so doing this interview right now is going to be totally different than it would have been five weeks ago. Sure. So it's really exciting to dive in on this with you. Awesome. Well, congratulations. Uh, I'm sure that has been a, quite a different experience uh, as someone who is a relatively new father. I've had, uh, you know, I, I have twin toddlers i have a seven month old so i i do i do get it <laughs> um but yes congrats that's that's amazing well let's let's dive into that a little bit what do you feel like you have learned from bliss or from from happiness from seeking that just by just in the last four or five weeks well i would say that life as a whole um when you look into your baby's eyes and kind of try and look through them you start seeing that that innocence again that I was just talking about from your childhood. So that bliss starts coming back in a different way for yourself, seeing it reflected from them. And also just seeing a piece of this creation that you've made that totally, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're religious, not religious. It doesn't matter if you believe in this or that. When you see a human get created, it's like you cannot fathom this feeling. I mean, and, you know, you have all your friends tell you when you have a kid on the way that's like this cliche stuff. Oh, you know, you'll understand once you have her or him and mm -hmm. you understand, you know, you just have to have it to understand. And I was always like, yeah, 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 whatever. You know, I can imagine, you know, I can imagine, you know, yeah. you start to work on a song. It's like I can imagine how it might end up, you know, or a book, you know, sure. Um, 
but no, you, you, you definitely, I mean, it is, it's the cliche way. I mean, you do not know until you're saying there with the baby in your hands. And I remember we went through a trauma birth. It was, it was really hell on wheels. Um, and by the time that we had to have the C-section and everything, and then they send me off with the baby and I'm in the room. And it was like at that moment that the, the nurse just gave me the baby. I'm sitting there without the mom or anything, you know, and then she leaves the room and it's like two in the morning. And I mean, <laughs> that was the moment that it was not bliss, but it was yeah. like pure terror. I yeah. mean, this is like, what just happened? I mean, this, this change was sudden, suddenly. And it's just right. like, yeah. So, but now it's bliss. Took a few yeah. weeks. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think that that terror is real. Right. And it's, it becomes so real of, I, I really don't know what I'm doing. I didn't know what to expect. And especially if you're having that traumatic birth process too, we went through a similar uh, traumatic we c-section for the twins and um you know our our boy twin he had to go to the NICU right away and it was tough <laughs> yeah um and uh so but it was weird also because I also had the control of like oh my daughter is she's in here and she's doing great and it, it was it was very odd so um yeah it's it uh, but I, I can certainly understand like the hey what is happening and all of a sudden now I'm by myself here yeah. Um, and the responsibility, it's just like the, yeah. the idea of this, you know, it's like not just me anymore. It's not just, yes. you know, me and my wife anymore. It's like, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like you said, the, the, uh, the holds that you have over a full other person's life. Right. And, but, but I like what you said about seeing that, that childlike innocence. I mean, it is a literal child, but <laughs> that innocence in, um, you know, your child's eyes. And I, I'm curious, we've talked a little bit about awe on the podcast and, and childlike wonder and, and those types of things, because I think we all do try to get back to that. Right. And I'm yeah. curious if you, if you know of a time that really disrupted that for you, was there a time that like, it, like reality set in and it was like, Oh, the world isn't this, fun sunshine rainbows place yeah for sure um i was 14 turned 15 and my mom had a heart attack and um that at that moment i mean i was i was always closest to my mom my dad worked all the time and stuff so it was was pretty much my mom my sister uh and i was the youngest and always trying to gather attention it's funny you know i end up being an entertainer (laughs) makes sense (laughs) so um but you know i was i was kind of this ball of energy and um it was kind of that moment that I saw that life is very precious. First off, you find this, this preciousness, you realize that it's, it's very um, fragile. And then also, you know, that you can lose people around you, people you rely on. And um, at that moment, you know, I mean, I, I know that I dove deeper into the arts, deeper into a lot of things, a lot of good things that end up, you know, giving me my career and my life, but also a lot of bad things. I went into high school, um, you know, a a varsity baseball player, varsity football player, but I always was doing music on the side. I never felt comfortable in that skin, like this Mm -hmm. preppy sport jock type. Um, The people I was around too, just, it felt very fake. Uh, so I, you know, I, my freshman year, I was like that, my mom with the heart attack. And then the sophomore year I came back, I was dressing all black. I said, you know what, F this, I'm going to be in the art building where I feel comfortable, where I find yeah. my bliss. Yeah. Um, you know, whether that was a release from the stress and anxieties of my mom, or if it was, you know, truly bliss for what I needed at the moment, that bliss carried me throughout high school and kept me away from, um, you know, not feeling myself, but also it, it, 
kind of drove me deeper into um, a lot of bad decisions that stacked up over time, uh, which eventually led to addiction, which led to a touring life for 12 years, touring the world, uh, surviving, feeling like I needed to survive off drugs to get to the next show. Um, and then it ultimately led to a suicide attempt that I did die for 30 seconds. Um, and then they brought me back alive. So, you know, that bliss, that bliss that I'm talking about at that moment, I don't know necessarily if it was bliss. Um, it's, it's more like an escape. And that's where we start kind of blurring the lines of where, what is joy and what is escape? And then we also start blurring the lines of what is beauty and what is darkness. And that's kind of the world I live in. And I think that's kind of the, the reason why this podcast meant a lot to me that you even asked me to do this because it's, it's touching, touching some, a lot of people, they, they say things like, yeah, I mean, I find bliss by going for a walk. Right. That makes total sense. That makes total sense. And, and I used to run, I love running. Um, it was very blissful until my back started going out. So, you know, once again, that bliss went away too. <laughs> um, <laughs> age or whatever, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the thing is is, is, is to take a walk as, let's say, an accountant. And he had a stressful day at work. Uh, he's going to take that walk. And his bliss might be just to forget about doing math for a little bit. You know, right. forget about dealing with his coworkers that he's annoyed by. Um, Someone like myself, when I take a walk, I, I might be seeing the world through a different lens, such as what inspiration can I find from this walk for the next track I'm working on? A lot of the book segments I got from going on walks with my wife, um, ideas would come to me. And that's kind of where I found my bliss. So it was back into the creativity. It was back into the, um, you know, finding this kind of this place of creativity and this place of release again. So, you know, is my bliss release? And that's kind of the big question here. Is my bliss released from the anxieties of life? Or is it, is it just where I feel natural? Is it, is it when I'm in my comfy bubble, you know, right. at the studio with bands? That's blissful for me, yeah. but also very stressful. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the question. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate everything that you gave there. And I, uh, of course, appreciate the vulnerability and, and, and the candor and... I think your question is one that we've wrestled with a bit on this podcast and does our bliss, a lot of the, the folks that I've talked to, our bliss comes from trauma, right? Because we are either, either escaping or coping or whatever. It's something that allows us to, to not feel the, the pain. And whether that's, um, like you said, whether that's true, like kind of that wash over of like, okay, like things are good, or it's a, I can't deal with this and I need to do something to just get my mind off of it. And I think it's an excellent uh, look into kind of that psyche piece, right. Of where, where is this coming from and, and how do we, and, and not just how do we, how do we continue it, but how do we channel it? Right. And how do we make that um, a part of our daily lives, which I think is really difficult. Yeah. And I think the thing is too, I mean, I, I think of the moments I set and work on music, um, I, I'm sure this has been on every single one of your one of your interviews. I mean, when people are are deep into creativity or deep into something, they are channeling that. I feel that it's a pure channel. Yeah. You forget where you're at. You can sit there for five or six hours, and all of a sudden you look at the clock and you're like, "Wow, okay." Um, the thing is, though, I also get very cranky these days. Hmm. So it, it's like 
you know, once again, it's that fragile world. At what point does that bliss turn into stress? Right. At what point does that bliss take over the stress that you had before become blissful? And then once again, give you stress again. Um, you know, I don't, it's like this homeostasis that we're looking for. Mm -hmm. And I think that moment that we meet that homeostasis line is, is the moment that we do feel true bliss. And when we're a kid and we have that naivety, we're kind of in that the whole time. Yeah. Um, as more, more life gets thrown at us and decisions we make get thrown at us and tainted thoughts, feelings, whether it's from media or self-consume, you know, we start to see the world a little bit more haphazardly and we lose that innocence. And I think then the bliss, when it does come, we need to hold on to it longer. Yeah. We need to really not take it for granted and be happy in the moment which is hard to do when you're like, it's almost like being on a drug when you're working on music or something. I mean, right. it's hard to be in that moment when you are in that moment, but it's hard to realize you are, you know, you're not consciously yeah. thinking like I'm in this moment right now. I'm in this bliss. It's more of like a, you get done with it. And then you're like, I'm exhausted feeling, but wow, that was amazing. But now I'm like super cranky. I need to eat. I forgot to drink water or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I have a thousand other things I need to be doing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. So um, yeah, you know, and it comes down to that part too about the book, because this is funny because I know our publisher is the one that was talking with you and stuff to get this lined up, but the, the book was probably the least blissful thing I've ever done in my life. Wow. Yeah. There what was nothing blissful about that. Just the stress of trying to get it done or was it uh, pieces that you didn't anticipate all of the above? <laughs> I think, I mean, it helped me with the publisher. Of course, they really help it get out and stuff, but I think it's just the process of writing. Yeah. And what I think is crazy is that I mean, maybe it's just because I come from music first, but the literature world is insane. Yeah. I mean, this is like, holy crap. This is, I mean, I'm just going to be blunt and honest here. It, the, the egos that fly around in the literature world is way bigger than any of music. Like that's yeah. for sure. Um, even just some of the big names, I'm not going to name any, but I see them on Twitter, you know, and the stuff they're yeah. talking about and the way they're talking and saying, you have to write this way. You can't write this way. This is crazy. That's like being a bass player saying you must play this way. You can't play that way. It's art still. I mean, of course, there's the grammar and the punctuation and, and all the rudiments, just like in music, there's the chords and the progressions. But what you do with them is what matters. What you do with the words or the subject matter and the story you're telling is what matters. Um, so that was weird because when I stepped into it at first, you know, it just the outside influence of people talking that I I never even thought would talk to me about this stuff were starting to tell me like, oh, you don't want to do that. And mm. I just didn't listen to anyone. I kept in. It took me two to three years. Um, and the, the thing is, it ended up really awesome. It was cool. But even when it was done, it was so exhausting that like when I held the book for the first time, it, it wasn't a blissful moment. It was like a, wow, okay, it got done. Um, it's, it's exactly how I hope it would be. It's awesome. It sold out. I mean, it did great on that too. That's great. Uh, but nothing felt blissful through it. Mm. Then what was creepy is about eight months later, I, I realized it's because a lot of myself was in there for my trauma. Mm. What I was doing was writing a fictional autobiography wow. in a way. And I mean, no one will ever know that. Even the people that know me, they'll know pieces, of course. But sure. I, every author puts himself in there. Right. And I just don't know that if there really truly is any author that feels that bliss when they're done. I don't know about this because every author I've talked to don't even read their own books. I mean, they're just like, okay, I'm done. So then it comes down to a piece. Was this something that I needed to do? There was something deep in me that told me I needed to get this book out. And I, you know, 
it's not the same as music when I'm in that bubble. Right. You know? So, yeah. And like you said, the egos, I, I think the ego piece is so fascinating. And I would, I would venture a guess that there's almost a superiority complex within the writing community because of this idea of it being different than other art forms. You mentioned it being an art form. It is absolutely. And, but it being different because you are giving the world, I don't know, you're, you're giving them the words that they're going to live by or, or whatever. Right. Like, like, and I, I agree. Like, I think we could definitely see that. I also want to, want to poke on one piece that you said which is i don't know if any authors feel like the end of the book or the, or the process is blissful and i'll tell you i've had four or five authors at this point that i've spoken with and none of their bliss has been the writing process none of it's been the <laughs> publishing process um so i i, I think that you're right on that yeah the create the creativity part i mean writing this the coming up with the ideas is totally. is different that's yeah. that's why i was talking about taking a walk talking to my wife about the ideas for a story that's a bliss but the, the process, holy moly. And I mean, I have to say too, the people that have egos in it, they, they have the rights too. That's fine because it's a lot of work. I mean, I, you know, I can write an album in three years or I can write a book in three years and that, that book is going to give me way more gray hair yeah. and way more high blood pressure over those three years than that album ever would. Um, it's just a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And um, yeah. So the blissful thing, I mean, it comes back to that creative piece then, I think, because you said you talked to other authors. So it makes sense that probably in the creation or the coming up with the characters and the storyline and stuff, there's a there's a bliss in that. Um, it's telling your story in a way, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That 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 ability to tell your unique outlook, that ability to, like you said, craft the narrative to your perspective and whether it was fiction or nonfiction, I think that all stays the same and that creative process all stays the same because you even if you're writing a completely nonfiction book you have the you have the authority and the autonomy of the way that you write it right and so there yeah. is still creativity in that even if it's autobiographical or or things like that you mentioned that your book became it, you realized later that it had been autobiographical or at least semi-autobiographical um though obviously set in this in this fictional setting um, were, were there points during the writing process where you said, I know where I want to go with this and I can pull this from my own life? Or was that really a like genuine surprise once you got to the end? No, it was, it was, it was kind of strange. So, I mean, I, I, of course I'm obsessed with horror, like even the, even the band with crying vessel, like it's, it's straight, we've been called spooktronica. It's this goth dark wave <laughs> stuff. I mean, you know, yeah. um, I live in that world. I love it. Um, when I started the book, though, it was more like just getting the story out of what I witnessed. I, I did have to go to a mental ward. I, I went to a mental ward. Um, after I had the suicide attempt while I was on drugs, I had to be evaluated. They need to make sure that I wasn't a threat to society. Um, I was looking at prison time, everything else, because I did this in front of my family. Wow. Um, it, you know, and I understand, you know, I understand even at that moment when they told me that I need to go, that I understood uh, so I wasn't fighting or anything. But after I came out of the hospital, they put me in a ward. I was there for uh, close to three months. And what was what was really strange was it was like 12 monkeys. If you've seen the movie 12 monkeys, mm -hmm. like you, you suddenly come out of your high or you come out of, but at that point it was more the numbing pains from my neck surgery that they had to give me. Um, you know, so I was coming back to reality, like I almost died, you know, like I was getting my feet back in the world. And all of a sudden I'm in a mental ward and right. 
you know, I, I do have mental illness that's been diagnosed with autism and OCD, but those aren't things that are going to lead me into a, a mental ward. Usually these are just things I was born with. Sure. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm sitting there in this mental ward with people that truly are mentally ill and in other ways that, I mean, they can't be out on the street and it's very sad. And I, I then became friends with all of them. I mean, I'm that type of person. Like I was literally friends with all of them. Um, I was talking to them. I was wanting to know their stories. I was wanting to see it through their eyes. Like I was talking about with my baby earlier. I like looking at people, you know, through the world and, and through people's eyes. And I got to know them very well, got to know a lot of the patients very well. And the book ended up coming a lot from their stories, but made into horror and fiction. And it's because I, I really want to make a stance on mental illness. I really want to make a stance. And by the end of the book, you really see this and the reviews out there talk about this. But my stance is that we are not all that much different. And it doesn't matter if you're what we all know now with the ex-president and stuff. People suffer from mental illness that are presidents in the world, you know, leaders. Mm -hmm. Most of them do. I mean, there's a narcissism mm -hmm. that comes along with this. There's people that are down the street, like we were talking about the accountant earlier, accountant down the street. Uh, there's musicians. There's, um, you know, teachers everyone's suffering with something. Everything is on a kind of a uh, spectrum, I would say. And the doctor sitting there evaluating these patients is typically just as ill or has their own demons. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot what I pull out into this book because I was sitting there seeing them that they might not be able to live in society because they have either an obsession with suicide themselves or they try to kill someone. I met a murderer in there. Um, you know, of course, you don't want them on the streets if they're going to kill someone. They do need to be behind those walls, but their illness and how they're seeing life isn't going to make any different than my autism or perhaps my friend's depression or, you know, as far as how they're viewing and how they're living. So then it comes down to a reality piece. And that's really what I want to get out of the book is by the end, you, you start thinking about your own reality, start thinking about your own space in this life and in this world. Um, and also how we view other people and how they have their own demons. So um, I think the scariest thing about the book is because it's extremely real, but it's also extremely yeah. fiction. So <laughs> it's it's kind of the <laughs> both worlds in the most extreme way. So, well, in what you're talking about there, to me, is again an additional commentary on reality. Right? It can be both. It can be both fiction, and it can be uh, it it can be autobiographical, and it can be your experiences without being you know you as the characters. Like, and I think. You know, I've, I've talked to some people also about like the uh, timeline hopping and realities and, and different things like that. And I think that, you know, it, it, it all of that is very fascinating. We could do an entire yeah, yeah, uh, series yeah. on just that. But um, the the thing that sticks out for me is that is that perspective piece, like my reality we could go through the exact same thing. I'm not going to see it the same way that you do. Right. And, yeah. and, and that is something that I think is, is really fascinating about that perception being reality piece. Right. Or when you recall something that happened, um, you know, if it was something great, you might embellish, if it was something bad, you might embellish. Right. It, it, it just because of the way that it impacted you, the way that it triggered the synapses in your brain, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I do think like what you're speaking to is, is also that, <laughs> that kind of dual reality. And I think that we, all kind of live in that all the time yeah, that yeah. half nonfiction, half fiction. Absolutely, man. And I mean, and I, I think the world around us brings us more and more towards this lucid dream state. I mean, it's the, yeah. not to be like some kind of conspiracy, not, it's nothing like that, but it's like, you yeah. know, we look back to the 1600s, 1700s, something and they have like a newspaper to read or something. 
um, we're getting infiltrated at all times by different things that make us start, you know, feeling certain ways. And then it's like, what do you feel then? What do you, when you go outside, truly feel? Are you, are you, are you feeling blissful at that point because of a choice you made to go for that walk? Right. Or is there something else around you that's getting you there? Like, is there, you know, and it, that's, yeah. So, I mean, that's another whole podcast for us as far as like the media and everything around us, sure. but, um, you know, and entertainment's like that too. I mean, that's, that's the point of the book too. There's points in there that, that you can feel blissful while you're reading. Uh, there's points that you're going to feel terrified. Um, there's points that you're going to second guess what your reality is. And there's points that you're going to really feel love and hate for the main character. I mean, that's, mm. you know, and that's how it is with any movie. That's how it is with any game, you know? Um, yeah. And that's playing with those emotions. It's an interesting thing. It's an interesting thing. Cause when I was a kid, you know, I never really fully understood my own emotions. I think this goes back to that autism piece. I, I, I have a trouble with really understanding emotions from others and my own. Sure. Um, the time that I really understand what I'm feeling is usually when I'm doing my music. I've always said since I was like 10 years old that when I'm playing piano or doing music, it's like looking in a mirror. And that's really what it feels like. My speakers know me better than, than, than I do myself. And um, what's interesting with this is just that you end up doing so much work in a career path that's purely to do with emotions. I mean, everything I do uh, with music, it's about, you know, making other people feel a certain way and right. making a book that make other people feel a certain way. And, you know, I've, I've worked a lot on film stuff, big Hollywood film and Netflix and stuff. And I mean, I'm, I'm literally hired on to make people feel a certain way for certain sections of a film. And yet I don't even know really what emotions are <laughs> like. So it's, it's a, it's a surreal experience, you know? So that's probably my problem with this bliss thing as far as knowing, knowing what joy is, but I, I know what makes me feel content and joy and happy like my daughter. Hmm. Um, but do I really know how someone else can feel bliss the same way, you know? Hmm. And it goes back to that reality piece. So yeah, I, I really appreciate the love. What you said, music is like looking in a mirror. It, it that to me, sounds like you're saying this is when I'm at my most authentic. This is when I'm and, and in some ways, like you said, that is when you're able to tap into those emotions that you don't know how to feel at other times or that you don't know how to express at other times. And I think that that's really, really fascinating. And I'm curious if that played a role, if music itself, while you were developing this book, if music and your band and all of that played almost that authentic role even as you were writing um and and if that kind of influenced your writing process hugely and i actually wrote the chapters based on the emotions i was working on i i wrote myself a score mm. so like i when i when i knew i was getting to a dark chapter i literally wrote a dark score for this and i end up writing to it on repeat and then what i do is i'd have odd uh text to speech yeah. reread the chapter to me over the music. So it was like a film. And then I actually was able to feel how it would be on an emotional setting. Um, I kind of feel like when people read books, they're able to give a soundtrack of their own. Yeah. I myself don't have that capability. I don't think whenever I've read, um, I, I kind of have to uh, kind of come up with my own way of understanding what it's saying. So it's interesting because I was able to then make it almost like a movie in my studio as I was typing. 
um, setting in the game or in the movie as I'm writing. Um, what's cool then is what we end up doing on the limited edition is, is an actual soundtrack too. So like after I was done, I went back and, and knew what the chapter was because it was all done and yeah. dusted and edited. And then I, I put out a QR code in the first 100 copies that went to the limited edition hardback. Um, sadly, those are sold out now. So like, but you know, eventually I might just make that public anyhow. Um, you know, after it's sometimes so I don't piss off any of the limited edition <laughs> orders, but <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's cool. And there's an, uh, there was a review that came out from a lady in Ireland just recently that she said that even if you, even if you're not huge to the story, you're going to love the soundtrack if you're able to get that. I mean, just the world that was created, she said was, was what it was worth it to give it a five star. So that that's pretty cool, you know? And I mean, I think it's that, that world. Cause I mean, I, I won't say that I'm an author. I won't, I mean, I, I am, I, I'm a lyricist, I'm an author, I'm a published author now, but I'm not, I'm not Stephen King. I don't wake up in the morning and go, I'm going to go write some more books. Like yeah. that's inspiration has struck. And this is what I'm doing the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. right? yeah. yeah. And I mean, the book came about as a, as a, on a whim, I've always had in my head, I wanted to do books because I, I always was great at writing stories in school. Um, in grade school, I won a lot of awards when I got into high school and into college, they also gave me awards. They gave me off to, um, different scholastics things. Um, so apparently I had a knack for the language, which is cool. Uh, but then it wasn't until I was on tour and we were coming back from Berlin and I literally was burnt out. Like I, I was working nonstop with bands for seven months. I didn't have a day off and I went straight to tour for three weeks, two weeks. And I ended up just burning out. I was flipping out everyone in the band. I was like punching the chairs. I was just crying randomly, all this stuff. And after we got done at the last gig, here goes to that bliss. I literally had a rush of bliss that came over me because I was done. And I knew for once I had like a week off that had nothing to do with music. But the first thing that popped in my head is I turned to the band and all of our, our sound techs and everyone, I go, I'm going to write a book. As I was like crying, looking <laughs> yeah. out the window over by Berlin, somewhere on the rolling hills. And I look to him and I say, I'm, I'm going to write a book. And they all started, they, you could tell that they didn't want to laugh, but they did want to laugh. Right. You know, because, and I didn't even know at that point, am I that crazy right now? Like, what am I thinking? I just was right. Is this out. just a whim? Yeah. 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 <laughs> so um, I got back and I, I literally started the next day. So, I mean, during a burnout and, 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 and then all of this trauma that I hadn't worked through came out through the book um, for my suicide attempt, all this different stuff. Um, then what was crazy, though, is we get to I mean, it's only three months ago. I started working with a with a deep, deep into trauma therapy because of my suicide stuff um, and the near death experience. I started working through it. And all of a sudden, I realized that the main character in the book, I said, couldn't access his memories. Like, that's the big thing about it. He could not remember. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, he finds his memories in the book. And this becomes a huge storyline in it, actually. It's all about him knowing his memories. I didn't realize that I had not been able to recall my own memories about the suicide, about the trauma, about all this stuff. So that's that autobiography piece. Mm -hmm. Like, I think authors are able to put themselves, when they're in that blissful state, when they're in that creative mind, they're channeling, there's a 90% of our brain that's subconscious. And that comes out in those blissful states. Yeah. You know, it just pours out. It becomes like the subconscious mind speaking at that point. There's no conscious effort. And that's a prime example. Someone that's through trauma doesn't even realize they don't have their memories. They write it in the whole book. And then it takes them eight months later to go, holy crap, that was about me. You know? Yeah. So. No, absolutely. I... 
Yeah, I, I want to cover a p- couple of pieces there. But one thing that really stu- has has stuck out in this conversation, it, which is odd because we're in a in a verbal media, so that'll make sense in a second. But is this what I'm hearing from from all of this? Is that your is a couple of pieces around kind of the written word itself, the like written word as a lyricist, as an author. Those are things that a are bringing you bliss, and b are are ways that you have found to be able to truly express that emotion in ways that you might not have been able to prior. Does that sound like I'm on the right track? <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think with the lyric thing too, I write in a very allegorical way. Um, I did in the book. Um, I, I was super into Dante Alighieri, actually. Divine Comedy is like one of my yeah. favorite books of all time. Um, but I write in an allegorical way when I'm actually doing my lyrics. So a lot of the listeners will, I mean, we might have a popular style gothy tune that sounds like I'm speaking about love, but you get to the end and find out it's about a serial killer that was obsessed with someone that she didn't even know him. Right. And that's kind of the, the way that I also write in the book and also the way I express myself. And maybe it goes back to that, not understand my emotions fully, but I'm able to write in two different ways at once. Mm. Um, I, I love that. I love that, that words can be taken in so many different ways. And especially songs, what you put around, if you put a dark chord around one word, or you put a, a nice major around one word, that word sounds totally different. I mean, that right. one word becomes either very happy or very dark. And that's amazing to me, you know? And there's a way to do that, not only with the music, but just with the, with the poetic sense, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I like doing these, that's a blissful moment for me is when I get to the end of a song and all of a sudden the song made sense to me. As I'm writing, it's just coming. I'm in that blissful state. It's just rolling, rolling, rolling. And then I get to the end and this one, one sentence all of a sudden explains what the whole song was about that moment I get, I get goosebumps. That's a bliss. That's a bliss. It's like, holy crap. It just made sense to me too. Listener thinks I had that in my head the whole time. No way. In fact, I mean, that's the thing is people can imagine songs. I get this with clients at the studio. They, they, their bliss is writing music in the head. They, they can say, Hey, I have a great hook. I've had it in my head for four days. I woke up in the middle of night with this hook. I myself don't know what the hell I'm going to imagine at all until I'm doing it ever. I can't imagine a song. I'm, I, I start, by like literally sitting there going, I'm going to start with a G minor chord and then mm-hmm. just go from there. And that's how it always has been with me. I can never imagine until I hear something. But once I hear something, it allows me to develop with it. And same with the book. You know, you, you write something, all of a sudden it's like telling me this is where it needs to go next. I knew the beginning. I knew the end. This is where it needs to be. Um, those are blissful states. That to me is bliss. That's channeling. That's when you're, you're, when you're starting a song, you're telling it what to do. And there's a moment in there that all of a sudden the song is telling you what to do. You start with these chords and you're saying, I want this. I want to add bass. I want to add synth. And all of a sudden the synths and everything there. And then there's this turnover point. And that's where the goosebumps start. That's where the bliss starts. And all of a sudden it's telling you, actually, you need to do this as a backing voice. Actually, you need to add another synth. Oh my God, now we're almost done. We're almost done. And the mix is ready. Then at that point, that's that's where bliss is taking over. I mean, I got goosebumps just talking about it right now. <laughs> yeah, that, actually, I did too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That process, and, and we talked a little bit about like that 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 pure channeling of that creativity, and then to not only do that, but then to to finish that product, and then be excited about that product. I mean, all of those pieces are like these little. Uh, if we think of bliss as a uh, a horcrux, right? <laughs> it's, it's like yeah, the yeah, pieces yeah. of your soul, right? That you just like, th- th- but you put them all together, and it and, and it becomes whole. And I, I think that that's that's amazing. Um, we've talked a lot about kind of horror and and your interest in that. And I'm curious. I mean, that sounds like another joy, another bliss for you. And so I'm curious where that started for you 
Um, was that something that's always been, or was that something when you know you're looking for uh, some of that release where more of that interest comes out? Where did where did that love come from? I honestly, that's one of the, that's probably gonna be one of the hardest lifelong things I have to figure out is why I find so much beauty in terror and beauty in darkness. I I don't know why, and I've never been able to put my finger on it. But it's what it's what brings me that thriving bliss. It brings me this. Yeah inspiration at all times if you throw a new horror game in front of me i'm just gonna be in heaven you know while my wife's screaming you know (laughs) (laughs) i'm screaming in excitement and she loves horror too but yeah so you know everyone gets their their kicks in different ways but i i myself don't know the actual like there has to be a psychological reason for this and i know that through my trauma therapist i've worked with and stuff she did say that psychologically speaking they're the same Hmm. but she never went into why and I'm really curious in that. And I really should ask her. She's amazing with this stuff. Um, she's more like a, a spiritual life coach, really, in that way. And she, I was telling her about that. And she says, honestly, the thing that, that is, is that our brains work in a way that beauty and terror or beauty and trauma can go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And I'm really curious on that note, because that, that's kind of maybe where that bliss lies, too. And I mean, that's what we've been saying this whole time now. And I'm sure you've said it in every single one of your interviews is, you know, that fragile state of happiness and sadness, you know, beauty and terror, you know, darkness and happiness all in one. That's that bliss state for me. And I'm sure if you look deeper in other people that are saying it's blissful to live in the moment, it's blissful to be in nature, it's blissful. That's also a piece of that, I think, you know, right. It's a release from something. There has to have that darkness. There has to be something that you're running from to get that. There has to be, whether you're running from the city life because you're sick of looking at concrete buildings, you want to be out in nature, there's your bliss, but you're running from something. So, you know, maybe mine's more immediate. Maybe I like to run and live in beauty at the same time. Maybe that's what it is. You know, I like to be scared while I'm being happy, like at the same time. Yeah. I, I, I love the idea, um, and maybe my listeners might not understand why I love it so much, but I love the idea of bliss has to come from running from something, right? This, this idea of pure happiness has to be because we have eliminated the, the, the darkness, or if the darkness is your happiness, we've eliminated the light, right? Um, and so, yeah, yeah. but I, I, I really love that concept um, because I, I agree. Like, I've been thinking a lot about my own bliss as I've been doing this podcast and, and all of that. And uh, I found so much true bliss in just doing the podcast. And part of that is like, it's so, and I said this a couple of times in episodes, but it's so different from my day job. My day job is working with, with students who have, uh, you know, done something wrong at, at school. Right. And so yeah. it's, it's very negative. It's very reactive. And this is so positive. And so even when we're talking about like deep stuff and, and trauma inducing stuff, it's, well, how did, how did we find bliss in those moments? Because that's where we find it. And so, yeah, I, I, I connect so fully with that. I'm also wondering again, and I, I hate to kind of be stuck on this, but this idea of, of your perspective of, I don't, I don't understand emotion or I don't understand other people's emotion and things like that. And, and this ability to tap into your own. And I'm thinking of horror itself. Horror is such a like the whole point is to evoke emotion. It's to evoke a reaction. And so I think in some way, consciously or subconsciously, you found a way to evoke emotion in yourself that never existed before. I think you're right, man. I, I'm going to cancel my therapist. I'm going to start talking to you. I, think. <laughs> I love it. Let's do it. I Let's set up a it, standing man. appointment. I think it's so true. And I, I think it, 
it almost goes it almost goes clear to the buddhist right and they, mm -hmm. the, you were talking to about running from something it's that same feeling of theirs is to, they're, they're part of the eightfold path is to overcome desires that is their point of meditation that is to find their bliss their enlightenment is to find that moment that they can overcome desires but they're running right. from something and i think i run from so much every single day mm. in everyday situations even just like loading the dishwasher is sometimes hard for me you know these yeah. kind of things that when i'm running from so many things at once the one time that i can you know really tap into an emotion uh, that i see that there's a fear or that i see that there's a terror is really through horror mm. it's through this dark state I'm able to, I have to go pretty deep to find that too. Like my wife said, I, she's never seen me scared at a horror. Like I've never have been scared. I don't get scared really in that way. Yeah. I'm terror. I, I, things that are really hard on me is like going to a kid, like children's um, singing recital at school and everyone's off key and stuff. Mm -hmm. That is terrifying to me. That yeah. like the the sound and like the, the kids just oh and, like it's cute, but it's also terrifying. <laughs> yeah, like, absolutely. You know, and but but you know, it's terrifying for me to go meet with people that doesn't talk over things that have interests, such as this episode mm -hmm. is amazing because this is all stuff that's right where my heart, this is my heart area. Yeah. But if I go and talk with someone about different tree types over dinner or something, sure. as, as interesting as that is, I don't know much about trees. So then I'm I'm really terrified. I'm terrified, but then yeah. I can watch like a scary movie and I feel like I'm at home. I feel like yeah. that's where I've arrived. And, and, and there's something there that's happening that I, I jump scares don't do much to me. Like I don't get this, but that eerie world is kind of what I live in. Mm -hmm. And I think you're right. Cause it, it allows me to feel, feel emotion, like in yeah. the ultimate way. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, um, uh, and and I can also uh, speak to the terrified experience of being in a room where uh, everybody's off key, uh, because I think that that's uh, if you're even slightly musically inclined, you're just like, oh, this is like you said. There's there's pieces of it like, oh, it's cute, and there's pieces of like, this is just it. Just, just like you, you talk about every, goosebumps the in the good way, yeah. yeah. <laughs> talk about goosebumps in the good way. People think those auditoriums are hot, but it's just everyone's yeah. sweating from the off keys going yeah. on. There's like, oh my god, <sighs> that's so yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, you've, you've mentioned your wife a couple of times and I'm curious just in general, you know, uh, whether it's through finding bliss or, or through tough moments or whatever, um, what, what does your, you know, support circle look like? What is, what's your community look like in, in e either aiding in that bliss or, or helping you through the tough times? Well, she, she's telling my muse in a way. Um, yeah. the funny thing is, is she's so creative, like super creative, but it's it's hard for her to dial in and focus enough to actually get to that point that she wants to be. So like when we would go for our walks and everything and talk about things, that would be like once every month about the story. And I get this obsessive thing that I'm literally over the dinner table for two hours just talking about the story development, things like yeah. this, annoying the hell out of her. So <laughs> once in a while, she would just give me little sparks and I'd be hitting my wall, my head against the wall. Like, where does Susan go? Like one of the characters, you know, like where does, I don't know what to do. And then like two days later, she's like, well, how about she does this and says like this amazing idea. I'm just like, what? Yes. And I like run downstairs into my office and I'm like, okay. And it just flows out. Um, she's, she's brilliant like this, like brilliant minded. And we actually, when we met our mutual love was for horror, like it was for dark music and horror. That's like where we got to know each other and everything. Um, our baby's name is Ava Raven. <laughs> so, you know, it's, you, we, <laughs> we live in this world and, um, yeah, she's definitely my muse in that way. But when you would meet her, you never really know. She doesn't, you know, stand out. We're not like goth or something. We're not like, you know, sure. this. We're not like putting our mascara on and like going out in the world. I, I love people that do. Um, but I myself, you know, I mean, yeah, I just live in that world, really.
So yeah. well, that's, that's wonderful. And, and to have someone who, um, you know, I think we all find, we all want to find someone, not just our, our muse, certainly um, for, for the creative types that are out there, but also someone who can look at things from that different perspective, right? Like you're yeah. stuck on something. You're like, Oh, I, I just need help. And to have someone who just balances that and, and supports you is, uh, is lovely. She's a scientist too. Yeah. I'm a yeah. musician. Like she's a yeah. scientist. Like, come yeah. on. She's like sitting there with, with lab stuff every day. Like yeah. this is crazy. Like you would never expect. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That's really yeah. cool. Um, well, you mentioned earlier, sometimes you look up at the clock and six hours have passed and somehow we've, I've looked up and here we are uh, right at the end of our episode. So I, um, I certainly recognize that this has been a fantastic conversation. I have a couple of last questions um, and then, um, you know, we'll have you promote stuff as well. But um, the first is you mentioned that it, it can be a little bit difficult for you to do this. So it's okay if, if you don't have an answer uh, right away, but how, how do you think if you had to give advice to the listeners on how they can find bliss and specifically on, you know, and how they can find bliss through. And we talked a lot about different things. We talked about that creativity. We talked about living in the moment, but we also talked about how do you find bliss from the things that aren't blissful? Um, any of those things uh, or, or anything else that speaks to you on how our, our listeners can find bliss. I think it's a journey in life. That's kind of put into our brain. Anyhow, like when we became humans that we're constantly in search for self, yeah. And I think that that journey is going to bring you bliss as long as you stay on track with it. Um, there is a point, you know, when I, when I was a drug addict and stuff, you, you get artificial bliss through getting high, you know, these kind of, these kind of things. Um, you know, that's not journey, the journey of life to better yourself. So this is not the kind of bliss. Um, like going, like I was talking about the guy or girl that goes for a walk into the forest. She, they're doing this to, to find a self. The Buddhist monk that's down the street is going to be finding themselves to overcome desires. Um, I'm finding myself in my dark music and my art. Uh, someone listening to this episode might be finding themselves in their new college studies, and that's going to find them some bliss too. Getting that career, getting that scholarship, getting that you know diploma, um, finding the love of your life, having a kid that you've always dreamed of. These are all life journeys. And these are all kind of pivotal points, little chapter turns. You know, there's that pun again, <laughs> you know, these little, these little kinks yeah. um, along the way. And I think that that's that homeostasis line where we get to that kink and all of a sudden it makes sense to us. Um, we feel whole and we get overran with bliss. And then it's going to be between that bliss to the next bliss that you have to find. And that's where things get a little terrifying for everyone in some ways things go up, things go down, COVID hits, <laughs> right? Yeah. Crap like, crap like that. <laughs> but you know, um, that's, that's what you find in between, you know? And I think that if, if it's not so rocky in between that bliss, isn't going to make as much sense. Yeah. The, the, the trials, the tribulations, I mean, it, it it's probably cliche at this point, but it, it does, it does encourage us to look at the things that are beautiful. Right. And, and, <clears throat> excuse me, and to take stock in that. And so, yeah, I, I, I think you're hundred percent correct. Um, and, uh, yeah. So I, yeah. Last question is just, what would you like to promote? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I honestly, I was excited <laughs> about the show even without any promotion bits, sure. but, um, yeah, we do have a new, uh, album. We're on a label called Cleopatra records. Um, they're one of the biggest, uh, goth and dark wave labels. They have like Iggy pop and a lot of the casualties, people like this. Um, uh, yeah, anyhow, we have a new album on there. They'll be coming uh, beginning of 2022. Uh, we have a couple singles this winter and, and fall 
hopefully around Halloween, <laughs> best <laughs> yeah. time of the year, um, that'll be coming out. Uh, the album is called Before Life Was Death. Once again, allegorical. I mean, before life was death and before life was death um, means two things in one. Uh, so yeah, we, we're putting that out. And then on the book front, I'm, I'm taking a break right now for the sequel. There will be one maybe someday. Uh, it's set up for that. Um, but you can come to slaytomson.com uh, to get the book or our publishers, uh, Sia at Genius Books. Um, they have it too. And then also everywhere online. I mean, it's everywhere. Amazon, all that stuff. Um, some bookstores too carried around the world. I know uh, we sold out here in Switzerland a few times. Um, so yeah. Uh, I, otherwise, I mean, promotion wise, I you know, that's my life every day with stuff. And, and yeah. I think we'll just leave it as <laughs> it's cool to promote bliss. Yes. Absolutely. And promote happiness, you know, yeah. so. Well, um, it was an absolute joy uh, to, to go back out another one. Uh, it, it was an absolute joy to talk bliss and happiness and, and also, you know, everything that comes with that, because we know it's not just a state of pure bliss all the time. And so it was, uh, this was such a lovely episode for me. And um, I'm, I'm so glad to have had you on here. And Slade, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much too. Thank you. All right. well, we'll see you next time on What's Your Bliss. You can find What's Your Bliss at anythingbutcredible.com and on all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and Stitcher. Please follow on Twitter and Instagram at YourBlissPod and like What's Your Bliss on Facebook. If you have any questions for me or if you'd like to be a guest or advertise on the podcast, please email me at yourblisspodcast at gmail.com. Please check out anythingbutcredible.com to find all the additional awesome content and podcasts, including Offended, Movie Merge, Going Off Topic, and of course, the Anything But Credible podcast. Mm-hmm.